Let us look together in the portion we've been reading, in the first epistle of Peter and chapter 1. And let us look again in verse, uh, from verses 10 to 12 we may read, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching forth of what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them to signify, when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, and to whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them, that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down to heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. These last verses in particular of verse 12 which things the angels desire to look into. Now, those things that the angels desire to look into, you see within the context of these three particular verses, as well as within the width of the context that we have read. They seek to look into the same things as the Old Testament prophets. Uh, looked into. They seek to look into the same things that the apostles of the New Testament looked into. And we read that the prophets of the Old Testament they testified themselves beforehand of the sufferings of Christ under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit Men like Isaiah and others of the Old Testament spoke of the Christ as the coming one. And we read here that as they, though they were the channels to whom the Holy Spirit gave us these scriptures of the Old Testament that spoke of the coming one, we read that they themselves were searching what manner, what or what manner of time. Uh, they were, searching they were searching to know more fully of this one concerning whom uh, they prophesied. And they were searching to know more fully when he should come. They spoke of the Christ. And Isaiah spoke, spoke of him and said unto us, A child is born, unto us a son is given. And he spoke of the servant who was to give himself a ransom for many. He was speaking of the coming one. And the apostles of the New Testament, they also spoke of the Christ, but they spoke of him from a different viewpoint. They spoke of him now as the one who had come. But they all spoke concerning the same one. And it's concerning him and the things concerning the Christ that the angels desire to look into. In other words, they desire to look into the unfolding drama of redemption, of sinners from their sins. And uh, we read that they're looking into that drama, the, the unfolding drama and the revelation of Scripture, they're looking into it from three particular aspects. Mm -hmm. 
In verse 10 we read, they prophesied, they prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Well, that's one aspect of this redemptive drama that they, and now the angels, desire to look into. The free grace of God. And then we read, In verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them did signify when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. That's another aspect that they desire to look into and that the angels now desire to look into. And there's the third one, the glory that should follow, the glory that should redound to the Messiah on the completion of his assigned work. We look then into this drama of redemption as it was unfolding throughout the Old Testament and as it has now unfolded from these three viewpoints, the free grace of God in Christ, the sufferings of the Messiah and um, the glory that must redound to him having completed that work. We shall look first of all tonight at that, what they are looking into. And then secondly, we shall look at the manner in which they look into these things. Because we read that they desire to look into them. And these words, both desire and the looking in, tell us much about the way in which they look into uh, these aspects of redemption. It's not in a cold, clinical, efficient manner. There is a fervency, there is an earnestness, there is a zeal about the way that they look into that. Well, first of all then, what they look into, this drama of redemption from the three aspects that I said, and then secondly, the manner in which they look into that. First, from the aspect of free grace. This is, this grace of God is something that the angels would never have known about had sin not come into the experience of man and had God not, in order to more fully manifest his own glory, devised, made known a way for the salvation of lost sinners. These angels, sinless creatures in the presence of a holy God, they know much of the goodness of God. They know of the goodness of God in creation and in the preservation of creation in being. Have you ever thought that it was of the goodness of God that he brought creation into being. There was no obligation upon him to bring creation or creatures into being. It was of his goodness that they might enjoy his fullness that he brought it into being. It wasn't because he needed their fellowship. He had sufficient fellowship in himself, in the blessed Trinity. It was of his goodness that he brought creation into being. And the angels They have been beholding that creation and the preservation of that creation. 
and the goodness of God that is manifest in it. The wonder that the, the, the power of God and the wisdom of God that is asserted for purposes of good in bringing creation into being, the power that is asserted there is that by the word of his power in the space of six days all brought into being and all declared very good. But it's only in the recreation of sinful man, it's only in redemption that the grace of God is made known. This is the goodness of God to the healthy servant. This is the love of God to the healthy servant. In the giving of his own son, that whosoever believeth upon him should not perish as the deserve, but have everlasting life. We have seen that unfolding drama of redemption and the grace of God that is unfolded there. The, God, the word of God. By the word of God, in the space of six days, creation was brought into being. But to bring this recreation into being, to bring man from sin, needs the word made flesh. They have beheld the great wonder of what was involved here. They have seen a body being prepared for him. They have seen him taking that body, that nature, into unity with his divine passion. They have viewed... Uh, The preservation and the keeping of that body in the womb of the virgin. We have uh, seen the great wonder of God manifest in the flesh. The the, this, 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 it wasn't just the word of his power, it was the word was made flesh in order to bring about this recreation, in order to display the grace of God to the hell deserving sinner. Another way that scripture shows the, the, the great difference between the goodness of God in creation and the goodness of God in redemption is that it speaks of creation being brought into being by speaking metaphorically of course the finger of God. Psalm 8 which speaking up the psalmist looking up into the heavens which thine own finger by no finger of, but when he comes to speak of salvation, it's the arm of God. Greater power was needed to be asserted to show forth this goodness, this special goodness, this grace of God to help his everything. The angels might not have marveled so much when they saw creation being brought into being from nothing by the word of God's power. It was, there was nothing that, was con that, was con that seemed to be contradictory there to his own righteousness in bringing that into being. But when you have the reek, when you have the work of redemption, it appears, it appears to be running contra con contradictory to his own principles of righteousness, that he should justify ungodly sinners. But he justified them because 
the, 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 the demands of righteousness, the demands that are made on righteousness there are fully met in his own son. The truth of God and the mercy of God are met together. This grace of God couldn't have been exhibited had not man fallen and had not God devised a way of overcoming this. And this is what the angels look upon. The wonder of this grace of God to help his everything that is unfolded in this marvellous work of redemption. Now, they look also on the sufferings of Christ. And these sufferings, they begin, they begin with his humiliation, and his humiliation begins at the moment of conception. He took our nature into unity with his person. They've been viewing, as I said already, the body created. They've been viewing how he took that nature into unity with his person, how he supernaturally created uh, a creative miracle in the womb of the Virgin, and how he how the, 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 that human nature, how, how it was superintended by um, the Holy Spirit of God in the womb, and uh, with the, the Spirit with whom he was uh, endowed, and uh, how he was born into the world, and have seen the great wonder of God manifest in the flesh. They've seen the great wonder of this child uh, uh, who is born, the God taking our nature. That's part of his humiliation. And uh, surely we can say that it's, uh, it may be saying too much, it's part of the humiliation anyway. I won't say part of the suffering, but it's part of the humiliation of him, that he takes that nature into unity with his own person. And they have been what they've been viewing this great marvel. There were angels present at the incarnation to tell the story to the shepherds and to, to the wise men. They were filled with the wonder of it, that a child was born in this way. They saw the wonder of one who was God and man, one who was at the same time omnipotent and holding the world in being and giving breath to all and giving breath even to the one who cradled him in his arms, in her arms, while at the same time a little baby, no doubt, crying and vulnerable there, omnipotent uh, as God and frail as a little baby simultaneously, all in the one person. They have seen the great wonder of the omniscience, the omniscient God, the all-knowing God, the taking out nature and growing up as a child, as a youngster and man, and growing in knowledge, as you and I must have done, step by step. The great marvel of God manifest in the flesh. And that part of the humiliation, part of this humbling of himself to take our nature into unity with his person. And in that nature, coming to suffer, coming to bring forth the righteousness that God required of his people. And in bringing forth that righteousness, there was a suffering that ensued. There was a the, 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 the humbling of himself to take our nature involved, as you know, 
Nadia, he met with the contradictions and oppositions of scribes and Pharisees. It meant even that the Son of God would be accused of blasphemy. It meant, as, the, as, as John puts it, that he tabernacled in the midst of this sinful world. And uh, I think it's uh, one of the American writers who was bringing, brought that out graphically to me, the, the, what was involved there, when he, was, he said something like this, if you saw the most holy man that you ever knew or can imagine uh, ever lived in this world, I'm sure we've all got someone in mind. And uh, you are going past the most evil place you can ever imagine in this world. Some awful saloon bar of worship. And there in the midst of that very place, and in the midst of all its debauched uh, populace, you saw this man. You would say, what is that person doing there? And you would say, how awful it must be for him to put up with that environment and that surrounding. It's so out of character and so out of place for him to be, but that is only a tiny shadow of what it must have been for the sinless one, the divine one, to take our nature and in our nature to tabernacle in this world with all the sin that is in it. He humbled himself and uh, oh, how these sinless angels must have wondered at this great humiliation, this humbling of himself, the sufferings of the face of those whom he came unto and who cast him out. He came unto his own and his own received him not. They must have wondered, as I said, at this, at this the, the Holy One being accused of blasphemy. They must have wondered... Um, that he had not a place to lay his head. The Lord of all created all things, but when he humbled himself to take our nature and to be the surety of his people, it is written that he had not a place to lay his head. The birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man had not whereon to lay his head. We read, we read nowhere that he had a home of his own, we find that there were occasions that he could go into that home in Bethany, but there was nowhere that he called his own except that cross. Oh, the humbling of himself that is there in our nature. It goes on from the point of conception onwards. It's as if he's climbing a hill all the way, and with each step as if the, as if the, 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 the climb becomes more arduous bringing forth the righteousness that is required of his own, meeting the suffering that is uh, required in that righteousness. <coughs> but all the time he set his face as a flint towards that goal, towards that goal. Uh, on occasion he said, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and I am straightened till it be accomplished. It wasn't as if he was going blindly into this, he had come with a purpose. He knew his mission. No doubt there was a cl greater clarity of that mission as he went on. But he knew. He knew that he had come with a purpose to do the Father's will. And he delighted to do it. But the angels 
viewed him humbling himself and the sufferings that were there in the humbling of himself you have the sufferings then from going on you can say from conception onwards certainly from birth onwards would be more accurate but the sufferings although they are there they reach a climax in the cross of Calvary and we mustn't think of the sufferings although there's a, it's a, like a mountain as I said climbing all the way a graph that is rising all the way when you come to this great event of Calvary it's as if there's a quantum leap from the nature of the sufferings up to then to the sufferings of the cross this is the top of the mountain but oh what a top and what a great height there's, there's such a quantum leap here in the sufferings that are involved that is what we particularly desire by the grace of God to look into on the morrow that we seek to remember the Lord's death but the giving of himself a sacrifice an atoning sacrifice the sufferings that were there it wasn't just physical sufferings not just the crown of horns spiking into his head not just the nails into his hands not just even the spitting upon him not just all of these awful external things it was the bruising of his soul as he was made sin as the vials of God's wrath were poured out upon him in the Roman place of sinners and scripture speaks of these great depths of sufferings and humiliation that were there I don't was in deep miles from sunk for standing there is none who can fathom the depth of sufferings that were there as he was made sin for his own we must remember that as the holiness of God is an infinite height so our sin by which we have transgressed in Adam against God is an infinite deep we so often to our shame don't even don't we we have such a superficial view of sin even as creatures if you had a, a room full of smokers here just now all of them puffing away and then someone else came into the room who was himself a smoker he wouldn't notice much difference wouldn't notice much difference so it is with us we have become so familiar with sin in ourselves and others that we treat it in a light manner but that's not the way God sees you take a non-smoker and you will be abominated and nauseated by the smoke in this room. And that's only a shadow of the way that God sees sin. Because as the holiness of God is an infinite height, so our sin is an infinite deep. And he is to atone. He is to atone. He is to bring forth what the transgressed law demands. And remember... And I won't go further into these sufferings just now, just speaking about these sufferings just now than this. If you or I go into a lost eternity, and may it be that we shall flee from that, while there is a way set before us of escape. But if you or I go into a lost eternity, we shall bear the wrath of God and the sufferings that will ensue. 
throughout all eternity. We shall bear the wrath of God extensively throughout eternity. It's as if the wrath of God and the sufferings will be passed out throughout the endless ages of eternity. Now, don't yet let me give the impression that they're going to be light. That's an awesome thought to have to bear the wrath and curse of God throughout all eternity and to know that in a million billion years things will not come to an end but will continue forever and ever. That is what our sin deserves in the sight of a holy God. But look at the Christ. In our nature, he bore the wrath and curse of God in the Roman place of sinners intensively in his own person. It's as if the vials of wrath were concentrated in a limited time upon one head who can enter into the sufferings that were there on the cross. Who can enter into that? And the angels have viewed them. The angels have been looking on. The wonder of this grace of God that was giving his own beloved son in this way and for such worthless, such awesome, such, 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 such undeserving sinners. So, such hell-deserving sinners. They look upon the free grace of God, a principle that would otherwise not have been known to them, but for God's redemptive work here, in the dealing with sin in his own, in his own son. They look upon the sufferings of Christ from his conception, from, from, the, from the womb onwards, and they look upon them, they look upon them particularly in the atonement of the cross. But let us not forget that they look upon the sufferings also uh, in this respect, the sufferings of Christ as they are seen in his church. They make up that which remains, as Paul puts it, in the epistle to the Colossians of his sufferings. They are the body of Christ. And um, maybe it's just put, put, put across to us when Paul was persecuting the church and when Paul was arrested spiritually on the way to Damascus. You remember the words of Jesus to him, Why persecutest thou me? The church it was that Paul, Saul was persecuting. But Christ looks upon the church as his own body, as his own sufferings. Why persecutest thou me? And the angels, it's in, it's, it's, it's uh, to the believer, it has not only been given to believe upon him, but also to suffer for him. And the angels are seeing something of the drama of redemption, that sinners can be redeemed, and can be brought from uh, the power of darkness into the kingdom of light and the great marvel of grace that can work this in them, that they can love, that the one whom they had carnal enmity against towards, that they now love him and that they give themselves, that they, that they seek by his grace to, 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 to live for him. That they, that he, that he puts this love into their hearts. What shall they render for him? For all that he has done for them. The sufferings then. And then uh, 
the glory that must redound to him, the glory that must redound to him, they look upon that also. And the glory, of course, has already redounded. He has the glory that has redounded to the, the Son of God in our nature when he has risen in his exaltation. He has ascended up on high, taking captivity captive. They've watched it, that he has risen. In his death he destroyed death. In his rising again he brought life and immortality to light. And the life and immortality that he brought to life, the power of an endless life, it's in our nature. In our nature. This is what the angels are looking on at. Because he lives, a people for whom he died are living also, are to live also. This is the great wonder that they see, the ones in whose place he has given himself. Risen triumphant in that glorious exaltation. They see that he is there at God's right hand in our nature, the God-man, making intercession for his own. And they know, they see that that intercession, these glorious words, no doubt, of the intercessory prayer on earth, will still, whether, whether um, verbalized or not, they are there in prayer. Uh, Father, I will that they whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory that thou hast given me. Thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And they know that that is a prayer that is made to a father who is predisposed to love. Who lo it was because he loved that he gave his own son. It was the love, the love preceded the giving. And uh, it's, he's predisposed to love and to give what he, what he desires. He's not asking for anything that is in, out of alignment with the Father's will. He, they, he's, they see the wonder that God the Father and God the Son are of the same mind in this great work. They see the wonder that this is a prayer that will certainly be heard. Him the Father always hears. They see the wonder of the security that belongs to hell-deserving sinners in Christ. Those who deserve this night to be in the flames of a lost eternity, the security that belongs to them there in the finished work and the ongoing intercession of Christ on the basis of that finished work at God's right hand. They see the glory that redounds to him in his exaltation, the great wonder of the salvation of sinners that is theirs. And all of that is brought out And also they see something of the glory that must redound to him in uh, the extension of his kingdom on earth. With each sinner who, who to, by, when he, when he, sent, he sends his own spirit to accompany the gospel, the preached gospel, so that the gospel comes with power and sinners are effectually called uh, through the gospel and brought from death to life. They see the glory that is redounding to him there. And we read that there is rejoicing in, in the presence of the angels. And no doubt by the angels themselves. Over one sinner who repents. Because they see the efficacy of the mediation of Christ there. In each one who is brought from death to life. They see it in every thought of love that there is in the heart of his believing people because it's all of grace it's all of the work of his spirit 
working in them to will and to do of his good pleasures. They see that it's all of Christ. It's not of man. And then secondly, we can look tonight at how do these angels look at all of this? How do they look on to the free grace of God that is there in this redemptive work of Christ? How do they look on to the sufferings of Christ? How do they look on to the glory that redounds to them in the gospel? First of all, with great earnestness, that's the first thing we can say about it, they desire to look into these things. And the word desire is a strong word. They crave to look into them. You can think of a, the craving, it's a sinful craving of course in this case, of a smoker, an addicted smoker for his cigarettes. It's the strength, that sort of strength of desire. They crave sinlessly of course to look into these things. There's that earnestness. It's not just a spasmodic interest now and again. It's an ongoing yearning to look into these things and then we read we, the, the very words that, to look into it tells us of the nature of the way they look into them because that word look into it's the same word that is used of Peter um, in two gospels when he and John came to the tomb and found the tomb empty we read that stooping, that he stooped down. He stooped down into the grave, to peer into the grave. It's that stooping down that is involved in looking into. Stooping down, peering in. If you can think, if, you can, if we can use that sort of expression of angels, as if they were craning their necks, as if they were craning their necks, to look into this glorious work of redemption. This one, the, the free grace of God to sinners. The sufferings of God in our nature. To the cursed death of the cross. And the raising of one in our nature. God but in our nature. To the very pinnacle. The very highest throne of heaven as Rabbi Duncan put it. Dust of the earth at the helm of the universe because that's what he is this night ruling over all principalities and powers in our nature making all things uh, work towards the grand consummation that has been designed from before the very beginning in the councils of eternity they look into these things <coughs> with great earnestness with great earnestness they look with great adoration. And uh, that we can see from other parts of scripture. Because we, we find, for example, from Revelation 5, of the, the mention made of the elders about the throne, and uh, of the cherubim about the throne, and uh, especially the cherubim uh, there, the that are regarded by many as, as being the beasts about the throne, the, the grand order of angels, and the song that is there of the angels, worthy is the lamb that was slain 
the, 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 well, this is the way we have it anyway. It was the redeemed, it's the redeemed who are saying, Worthy is the Lamb that is slain. But in verse 13 of chapter 5, we read, And every creature, and that must include the angels, which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honour and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. With great adoration, we can safely say, that there is that adoration as they look into the wonderful things that are involved in the redemption of sinful man. And then we can also say that they look into these things with unceasing interest. And we can say that simply from this one fact, they desire to look into them. It's not a case of they desired or they will desire, but they desire, it's an ongoing present. They continue to desire it. And that means that there is no boredom. There never comes a point where they say, we've had enough of this. We know this to exhaustion already and we're bored with it and we can leave it behind. They never ever can reach that. It's impossible for them. They continue to see new things. They continue to see new things all the time of the great love of God that stooped down to give his own son in the Roman place of hell deserving sinners. How can they ever, ever come to know this to exhaustion? Because the love that is involved here is as far as east is from the west, infinitely great. The atoning sacrifice and what was involved in it, the sufferings, who can measure the depth of them? Who can measure the holiness of the God, the God that was dealing with his own son, the sword of justice coming against him? They have a theme here that is infinite. They will never know it to exhaustion, and neither will you, and neither will I. It will be the wonder of the Lord's people throughout all the ages of eternity. It will never reach a point where they have said, I know this completely. It will, they will be like climbing from one plateau of a mountain to another, to another, to another, as he leads them ongoingly into the wonder of this redemption that was devised in the councils of eternity. The mind of the infinite God in the wonder of his grace. Who can know that ever to exhaustion? No doubt the angels, they know the scriptures, they are they are, they are holy creatures, they are intelligent creatures, they'll know the scriptures inside out. Much better than you or I know them. But they don't say we have come to an end of this. It's an unceasing interest. It's an earnest interest. It's a yearning desire to have more and more of the wonder of this. And the more they have it, the more there is the spirit of worship among those who are sinless and to veil their faces before the glory of God. Now, can we come to apply that to ourselves with just two questions? If these sinless ones who know the scriptures undoubtedly so thoroughly 
and who have such a deep understanding, who have been viewing this wonder of, of redemption from the time that Adam fell and the promise was given of the one who has come to bruise the head of the serpent, of the one who has come, the one who has risen, and they've been viewing all this with an intelligent and an adoring interest, and the ones who have such a wonderful understanding of these things, if they are still wanting to know more, oh, how much ought you and I, at best, we are ankle deep. And I think if we flatter ourselves even at that, we are ankle deep in this great ocean of the redemptive grace of God in Jesus Christ. Can we ever reach the point where we can say, I know this. Shouldn't this be the song? Shouldn't this be the talk? Shouldn't this fill our horizons? Oh, the awesomeness that things like football or anything else in this world should be taking the place in our thoughts and desires and goals that this great thing, this great thing should have. <coughs> How it ought to be filling your horizons and our talk and all that we would be as a church living as ones who are redeemed, ones who are indeed participating in this. Look, look at this also, this is a second thing. The angels have no vital stake in this great drama of redemption. They don't need to be redeemed. They have not sinned. These are the sinless angels we're speaking about. They have not sinned. They have not fallen. They do not need to be redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And yet they look on with adoration, with earnestness, with unceasing interest. They cannot but go on looking into these things, craning their necks, if we can speak like that of them, peering into them. Ah, how much more ought you and I fallen sinful creatures needing to be redeemed and this is the only way that the blackness of our sinful hearts can be cleansed through the application of the blood of Jesus Christ to them as we are united to him spiritually by faith only here And oh, that we would as earnest seekers, that we would have that interest. Ones who are out, out of Christ may be by your own profession still. Under the wrath and curse of God, and that justly, that justly, that's what we must be under, out of Christ, because we are, our sin is uncovered, and the sin is all its cancerous and evil nature is seen by God as it is, and we must with our sin uncovered beyond the wrath and curse of God. And if that's where we are, and if there's a way of salvation set before us, shouldn't there be an earnest interest on our part? That there would be an application of that healing blood to our souls before we pass from this world and into the eternity where we would have passed beyond the sphere of mercy. The night comes when no man can work. This is the day of mercy to seek him. And if we are here tonight and our profession is 
that that grace of God has touched our souls. What a solemn profession it is. What a solemn, solemn profession it is. It mustn't be just a matter of a pro that profession in order that we can have the benefits of of, 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 of salvation and yet at the same time live as, as worldlings. You can't have your cake and eat it as it were. You must be in one camp or the other. You must be in Christ or out of Christ. And our profession and our lives must be in correspondence. Must be in correspondence. There must be a seeking to live to his glory. There must be a seeking that we might have a greater vision of what he has done for us. Because that's the only way that our lives can be in a proper alignment. That we would have a greater vision of the holiness and the grace of God. And the provision of God for us in Christ. The more we have of that. The more we see ourselves in perspective. The more we see our sin and its deserving. And the more we see how indebted we are in Christ. And uh, that we would say with the language of our hearts rather than just the language of our lips, for me to live as Christ and to die again. How far short we fall. How far short we fall. I start with myself. Oh, blessed be his holy name that it is written. If you confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a, what a salvation is set before us. May he give us grace to be eagerly stooping and looking into 